Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This episode uh, is notable in the way in which all of them cross boundaries, all of the women, and not all of the men, you know, um, but all of the women cross boundaries that they like are uncomfortable with. Um, and actually, I guess, interestingly, Yifad is the only one who doesn't seem to like encounter a feeling of kind of shock and um, struggle with it. You know, we have you know, the, the topic today we were talking about of, um, sort of Nagia, you know, Shomer Nagia is the term for someone who, you know, people who avoid touching, or I'll say touching in a romantic way, at least, um, members of the of the other sex. And, um, right, so yeah, she is upset because of Nati. But I think, right, all of them in this episode, there's sort of things that have been building up that now there's kind of a, like a line crossing. And it's interesting because when you look at them, at least, you know, from their background, Hodayasi, right, is from the most religious background. And then it seems like he fought probably in the middle. And Ruut's the one who's kind of like liberal, we think, right? She's the one who's reading Haftarah and she's doing, you know, all of, all of these things. And yet, right, Hodaya is the one who's seems like she's become comfortable with, you know, with kissing Avri. But then when it crosses a certain line in his apartment, she kind of backs off. Um, you know, Ruts, when it comes to, you know, when Yochai in this kind of, I don't know, somewhat shocking moment comes and kisses her, she like seems taken aback. Um, and Yifat, I guess, you know, she doesn't kiss Nati, but there's this like crossing of a line that she told him in either the last episode or the one before that, that she doesn't cross. Um, and yet she doesn't seem to be struggling with it in the same way. It's like, it is kind of interesting um, just to sort of see how they each in their own ways are struggling with their own lines and, and where they draw those lines. Um, I, I, so we are going to talk, I also just watched the episode. It was just one of those weeks where I just got to it just now. Um, and I did not remember the last scene with, I've seen the whole series, um, but with Yifat and Nati, I did not remember that at all. Um, and, and I think that part of, and maybe we can explain a little bit about what Shomer Nagia is, since yeah. not everybody was here at the beginning, um, and I can let you do that. But the, the, I think that there are, even within being Shomer Nagia, there are, there are lines, right? Like between you and your mom, for example, or me and my dad, it would be different than me with a friend or even me with a uh, member of my family who's further distant from me. So there are lines, but the lines that we're seeing crossed here are kind of uh, untraditional in terms of saying that you keep a certain kind of distance and then just deciding, well, if it's with this person or if it's in this way, maybe that distance isn't isn't exactly what I'm talking about. So maybe maybe you, Rabbi Pernick, can just, you, Josh, Rabbi Pernick, can just explain a little bit about <laughs> what, um, it's hard to have two Rabbi Pernicks on the call at once, um, can explain a little bit about what Shomer Nagia is, and then we can also go go from there. Sure. So, you know, the idea of Shomer Nagia is kind of a broad, a broad concept, but basically um, stems from the idea of not having, you know, sexual relations with someone you're not allowed to have sexual relations with. But then in the way that we, you know, the rabbis build fences, a fence is built around, you know, sexual contact to be 
you know, perhaps it's romantic um, physical contact that is not explicitly sexual in nature, like hugging and kissing and, and things like that. Um, then, some, you know, for some people it's expanded, you know, we'll say, no, it expands even further than that to something like, you know, holding hands or maybe even shaking hands. You know, I'm sure people have had encounters with, with uh, you know, Orthodox Jews who won't shake their hands. And that's not right a romantic gesture in, in anyone's mind, um, but there's still a sense of it's perhaps crossing, you know, a line that it's intentional physical contact with someone of the other sex. Um, and then there's like another line, which is incidental contact and, you know, stories of people on flights, you know, on LL flights in particular, demanding that, you know, the woman next to them is is moved because they can't sit next to a woman because there might be incidental contact, right? So there's there's sort of gradations here. And one of the challenges is like, there's not, there's not really clear um, halachic guidelines, I would say, in a lot of ways around like where these lines really are. Um, so beforehand um, with the New Orleans people, we were looking at some of the sources and it seems to be, you know, there's an understanding that hugging and kissing from which um, I guess the man derives benefit or that it sort of arouses passion or things like that, that seems to be kind of leading into sex is forbidden as sort of a barrier offense um, around sexual activity, you know, because if you start that with someone you're not allowed to have sex with, then, you know, who knows where it might lead. It can lead to mixed dancing. It can lead to mixed dancing. Right. Exactly. Um, of course. But, but then like beyond that point, you know, where is that line? And again, I, I think, it's because it's not such a black and white issue, um, you know, in halacha generally in Jewish law, like it's, it really isn't, um, it, you know, each person in our episode kind of has their own lines, you know, Hodaya seems like, okay, I'm comfortable kissing, but then things move, you know, beyond that. And she's uncomfortable. Ruth's not comfortable kissing, right? Like they're all sort of in different places. Um, and when it comes to that, I, you know, was uh and which one was cuddling at the end he he fought um there so my first year of yeshiva was you know debating for my shots whether um to tell the story because it's a story actually about a mutual friend of ours but basically like one a mutual friend of ours got um got kind of called out for posting pictures in which he was like making contact with women and you know people you know and it was like it sort of became this whole conversation and and eventually what sort of emerged from that conversation is people were like, well, I actually don't know, you know, the, the, you know, rabbis were saying, well, we expect everyone to be Shomer Nagia. And then there's the question of like, well, what, what exactly does that mean? Like, where exactly is that line? We've never actually learned the line. And then the rabbis were like, you know what? We've never really talked about that. Like there's sort of an assumption of practice, but like, does that mean, you know, you're not shaking hands? Does that mean like not having your hand around someone's shoulder? Like what's the line of what's acceptable and what's not. And it's, was never really clear because it's even in the halakhic sources, it's not so clear where that line is. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, so I think that's the struggle we see here in this episode too. Does that also pertain to verbal, are you, I mean, to verbal contact when she revealed her feelings? Um, is, is, yeah, so interestingly. I thought, you said, I thought you said earlier that she had, that you thought had crossed the line when she was, talking but maybe i i came in late so maybe i misunderstood oh no i think you know i think i we're saying that you know she sort of she had said to nati 
in a previous episode, I think the previous episode, when he comes and asks for a hug and she says, I don't hug men. Oh. Okay. Um, she told, she had told him that. And then now suddenly they're sitting, you know, kind of cuddling. He was like having a hard time about. He had just had the whole thing with the, you know, with the woman, the girl who re-emerged from his youth, you know, and he asked her, you know, basically asked to marry her, you know, and then he said, I'm not ready. And she yelled at him. And now he's like all in a mess, you know, and he just says, can I get a hug? But he also said, can I get a hug? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In that moment, because it wasn't beneficial to her, she said, no, I don't touch men. But in (laughs) this moment where she needed to be consoled, she took it from him, which is, I think, like a lot of what's happening in this episode, that if you read into it, the the women who are either the most surprised or just the most, um, um, I don't know, changed by the moment, like their lines get crossed, I guess, as you mentioned before, that for her, it was about feeling as though this was something that was coming to her as opposed to that she needed to give to him. Um, and I don't, I don't, I'm not Shomernagia. So I don't know how that's different. Like, I, I don't, I don't know how being asked by him, a friend who we learn in this episode, she has feelings for, but someone who she cares about nonetheless, asking for a hug is different than in a moment where she needs the hug. She gets, uh, I, I'm not really sure what that is about, but I do think that there's something different there about her giving it as opposed to receiving the the consolation from him. Yeah, that's like it, doesn't something. Apply, it doesn't apply then to verbal, you know, what she said verbally to him. That's okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting people, you know, the rabbis who are trying to, you know, pull people into being from in Shomenegia will often say, oh, you know, in relationships where there isn't the physical contact, people are much more um, expressive verbally because they're just, you know, you're sort of talking directly without um, this kind of physical, you know, inter, you know, in- medium in the middle. Um, it's just sort of talking and saying, I have feelings for you or things like that, um, which in, you know, in non-Nagia relationships is often expressed physically, but sometimes that physical things can be misinterpreted, you know, <laughs> um, with words, it's, it's often, you know, more direct um, in such cases. Yeah, De- Debbie. So I'd like to take a step back because, mm-hmm. I mean, the two of them are by themselves in an apartment, unmarried, multiple times, watching movies, and I would think that is, like, so not okay. Yeah. You're right. Is the door open? No, not okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. It, yeah, totally. Right. So that's, it's like, you know, for for people from, you know, in the New Orleans group, we're there for Stissel. I mean, we compare Stissel and, and Strugim with Stissel, right? I mean, even there, there's some, there some crossing of those lines, but generally there was a stronger sense of, um, you know, yihud, of not being alone with someone of the other sex, you know, um, without a, a door open or something like that. You know, with Nagia, there was no touching of people who weren't married to you. And, you know, what Srugim sort of deals with is that in between where they're, they're in Katsum, right? One of my favorite lines is when, uh, when Ruj is talking to Yochai, 
right? And he says, oh, you're inviting me to a meal in the, in the pizza in the swamp of Katamon. And she said, yeah, you know, bo leads paleli ma'avar yanim, which is the line from uh, Yom Kippur, from Kol Nidre, right? That we give permission to pray with the sinners. Um, so, you know, she refers to them as the avar yanim, as the sinners, um, because, you know, they are, they're sort of living in this in-between yeah. reality. But there's a difference in Shugim there. They're not Haredi. Right. This That's what I'm saying. Haredi they're living, in, they're, a, they're they're living they're, in a more complex they're world. They're very traditional, but still all of them in that apartment, I would call traditional, but yet modern Orthodox, definitely not Haredi. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, that's, that's you know, getting to this idea of, you know, Ruth referring to them as the Avaryanim, right, as the yeah. sinners. It's kind of, yeah, we're religious, but we're we're sort of living in a different religious context than Yochai, who lives with his mom and, right, you know, is just living in a very different reality. Sort of. I just, I, I want to add just a few things that are, um, they're not from sources, but they're, uh, I think, important to share. I think that in the modern day, which this is taking place in, a lot of this has also changed, right? There's a lot of, um, I don't know if anybody's ever read, it might be a book, I've only read it as an article, but like the different love languages, right? Like if the, if you're someone who- The five love languages. Yep. I just don't know if it, yes, but yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. So the idea that people share, share their emotions, share their feelings, share their relationships in different ways, one of which is verbal and the other of which is touch, and then there's three others. Um, but I think that in a modern day society, again, which these people in this show are, are living in, um, part of the reason I think why um, Rayut, right, she's the one learning half Torah, Okay, I just get their names mixed up. Um, that Rayut is so surprised by him kissing her is because he was so strict about her just learning half Torah, and now all of a sudden he's kissing her. But I think in a certain way he he like doesn't know what to do with that moment because he clearly has feelings for her, and he's like, "How else do I say goodbye from this really tense moment?" Okay, I guess I'll kiss her. And I think that, that that plays in a little bit like societally to how, to what to where they're living also, right? They're not living in a bubble. They're not living in a Haredi bubble for sure. And they're living amongst people for whom they've either seen it on TV, I mean they're watching movies, we've seen that happen many times, or they're seeing it amongst people who they're living around in that location in Jerusalem, in Katamon. So I think that 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 also plays into this, like the the boundaries that are crossed and the things that are tried. Um, I mean, even within our own group of friends, there are people who would consider themselves modern Orthodox who don't follow as stringently the the laws of of being of obtaining of uh, keeping yourself from touch of being Shomer Nagia than other people who might see themselves further down the line in orthodoxy. But the one thing that I'll say is a person who has never been Shomanagia, except for, I guess, during COVID, um, and because not touching anybody, um, but, but during, during my life, that's not a practice that I grew up with, nor, nor do I have, that there is something extremely valuable and powerful, especially as a woman, to what being Shomer Nagia would allow for. Now, what I mean for that is 
that very often um, people will come up and just hug you because that's something that happens in the world and they will hug you because they assume that that's okay with you, especially if you're in a movement where that seems to be okay. And you don't always want a hug, right? You don't always want someone to hug you. You don't feel like that's necessarily an appropriate thing. Doesn't matter their gender. It could be a man, it could be a woman. I don't want a hug from. But I don't get asked, right? I don't get asked, oh, Rabbi Schatz, can I give you a hug? I just get hugs um, or kisses on my cheek or people touching my shoulder or, and, and I am by no means saying that any of this is not with the best of intentions. I think people are trying to be sweet and welcoming and all the rest of it. But if I were to be someone who practiced the laws of Shomer Nagia, that wouldn't even be something that people would have to ask. They just wouldn't touch me, right? That wouldn't be something that was available to them as a means of communication. And part of that, I think, is actually extremely empowering for people who do keep those, those observances because you have to find other ways of communicating. You have to figure out how to make the other person feel welcome in your presence. You have to make sure that the other person recognizes that you feel for them the way that you would feel for another person who you might hug, right? You have to go through those awkward moments of saying hello for the first time and saying goodbye. They're weird. But if you know that that's something that you have to work on, you work through those moments of communication. So I just, as a person who, especially my congregants know, does not keep these as laws, I just wanted to say that I think there is importance behind them. And then if people choose to be Shomer Nagia and keep those laws, that there is something to that. And there is something that it's not just keeping a person from having sexual experiences, that it's that there's also something to just normal touch in, you know, in communities that's not always desired or, or warranted. So I just want to add that piece. I don't know if you have anything to say about that, Rowdy Pernick, but. But I mean, that's a great point. I actually I think that's a good sort of time moment to, or in response to uh, for people to, you know, if other people have responses. Uh, yeah, Jeff, I see. Well, uh, I don't know if I'm being redundant, but or not. Uh, but we we live in an open society. Um, if you're in a group and, and people are used to you know are used to that if you're ultra orthodox and people just know they're not going to come over and give give you a hug. Um, but in in America. And across all religions, it's it's kind of a thing people do. So if you're out in the open, it's you're kind of taking your chances, and you either you stand off as you could be you step back and say, oh no, no, I don't want to. But it's it's just harder. I, I, it's a lot easier to be in a homogeneous society, obviously, where everybody knows the rules. Mm-hmm. And it's just for us here, it's very hard. Uh, it reminds me of the Seinfeld episode where uh, every all the women in the apartment building want to kiss Jerry. Because they get to know their names, you know, he doesn't want to be kissed by any of them. But anyhow, uh, it's just very hard in our kind of in our society in America to, uh, you know, to to do that without just hanging with your own group. Obviously, especially in the South, where that's a lot of common is <clears throat> hi, nice to meet you, and just assault someone with a hug. <laughs> 
And so yes. that is a common thing. Like, oh, I did not want to be hugged. And like, right. oh, don't hug me. It's like yeah. you committed a cardinal yeah. sin to some people. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Dad. Sorry, so I was I was going to say, you know, since Seinfeld was part of the episode, yeah, and it was just referred to again, there's another one, of course, where, and I don't remember who she is, but every time she comes into the apartment, she's kissing Jerry, and he, like, opens the refrigerator door and the cupboard, you know, just everything to to kind of avoid it. And And to me, you know, before when I was in Worcester, Massachusetts, way back in the in the eighties, which where Jeff is from, by the way, so that's a good. Oh, then I better be that I won't mention Happy a name because <laughs> <laughs> the first thing they told me when I went there is everybody was related. But there was a woman who was a part of the congregation, and she was like an officer. And no matter what one would do, you could not escape her kissing you on the lips. <laughs> which was totally inappropriate. I was single, but it just like, and she was an older woman and it just, you, you know, you try, you can't. And the problem as Rabbi Schatz knows is that you're not just talking about a social setting. These are your congregants. So you can't really, you, you know, you have to be careful about saying, uh, you know, I prefer not to be touched. or I prefer that you don't kiss me or I prefer, because these people are paying dues to your synagogue, you know, and it's not something we always talk about, but I mean, it's a reality that it's not just like, you know, your friends and just they get out of here. You can't really react in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I will say to Norm's point, and then to your point, Rabbi Parnik, can I just call you like Rabbi Parnik one or Rabbi Parnik two? It'll be much easier. Um, Senior, junior. What? It's senior, junior, you know. You can call me Shlita if you'd like. <laughs> ah, yes, I would love to. Okay. Um, and to Norm's part, I think that, yeah, there's there's also something to be said for what Norm just said is that the discussion tonight is around Shomer Nagia and not touching. And you're right, Norm. But I, I, what I'm trying to add to this, and I think what Rabbi Pernick is, is mentioning, is that there there is something to that very kind, welcoming, touching that could also be seen as as stepping over to a line of of nagia, of being something that is not appropriate and and not the kind of physical interaction that you want to be having with that person. And shomer nagia is not just about a person who's attracted to another person not touching that person. It's not like people who are shomer nagia are only going around not touching the people they're attracted to. They're not touching people of the opposite gender. So it's I think that that is a is a major point where. Oh, Rachel said that. Thank you, Norm. It's just under your name. Um, that 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 is something that when you when we're talking about touching, that it could be very nicely, you know, just a pat on the back or a very sweet hug. But when it gets to a point where a congregant is kissing you on the mouth or is is hugging you too often or for too long, that crosses a line. And that becomes Nagia and not just a form of welcomed touching. Yeah, Terrell. And point, what I if think- it's like, you know, we all got like those old grandmothers and old ladies that like get kiss you on the cheek very sloppily. How does that work with it? Because you obviously know it's not sexual. Well, maybe right now you're in, but you got like a 82, 83-year-old woman that's going to give you a kiss on the cheek. I feel so kind of rude to say, no, don't touch me. 
I will let Rod Pernick answer that question, but also have him answer the question about um, Sneut, that if you're having a conversation about feelings or um, uh, a potential, oh, what did you say? Yeah, Sneut, that restricts with one what one potential partner can say to another. Because um, I actually don't know. I don't know if there's rules around what you can what you can say. Sure. Um, I mean, I'll start with with um, you know Terrell's point because it's right. That's in one of those areas where it's sort of like the, the you know the questionable area of what do you do, um, right? In cases in which it's clearly right non sexual touch, whether it's you know congregant or, or in a social setting or you know in the library um, where Terrell works, like you know in such a setting like. So obviously some people would say no, any physical, right? It's very, it's, life is easier, at least in theory, when you have clear black and white lines, right? If you say, right, you go to a Chabad rabbi and you go to shake their hands and you're of the other, uh, you know, opposite gender, they're, they're not going to shake your hand, right? And it's just, it's clear and it's, you know, they'll be nice about it, but it's very clear and you sort of know exactly where you stand. Whereas most people who keep some amount of Shomunagia have, some, you know, it's it's a little bit less clear. Where's that line? You know, what's the difference between shaking hands and holding hands? What's the difference between, you know, a, a social interaction versus, you know, with with a peer versus, you know, someone who's clearly, you know, a, not, you know, not a peer, you know, a grandmotherly type. Um, and right, so those pieces, it's it's easy if you have a clear black and white lines. When you don't, then it. Right. Every and again, because there's there aren't such straightforward, clear guidelines of like, you know, you cannot touch someone who's within twenty years of you, you know, in a romantic way. Like there's no official lines like that. So um, right, it becomes very complicated. Um, you know, as in, like well, I was gonna bring an example which I didn't, but you know, then you deal with professional contexts and someone who tries to be Shomanagia and is told, you know, okay, but professional you need to shake hands. Um, you know, I remember the the president of my yeshiva, who's no longer the president of the yeshiva, but um, before one of the annual dinners, giving like a speech um, and saying, he was like, if women come to shake your hands, shake those hands. Like, you know, sort of like without caring about what lines people had, he was like, shake those hands, shake, you know. Um, you know, and some people were like, that's not appropriate. I don't shake hands with women. But I also um, think to your, to your credit, um, I think that there is also a difference between the first time you meet someone and them putting out their hand to you or in, in our um, fellowship case, just going up to you and giving you a hug. I think there's a difference between welcoming that kind of hello than it happening again and again once a person knows that those are boundaries that you keep. Right, even if you don't keep Shomer Nagia, and I don't mean you, Rabbi Pernick, I mean you, a human, doesn't keep those laws, that that once you know that a person has certain boundaries, I grew up with a rabbi who is immunocompromised, and so he never shook people's hands, because, and this is pre-COVID, he never shook anybody's hand because he didn't want to come down with something, because he knew that that could be a long time for him to be ill. So he just didn't shake people's hands. Now, as the other Rabbi Pernick said, that can come across as as cold. And people who joined the community for the first time didn't know that about him and only came to know that 
once they expressed that they felt that that was cold behavior. But I think that for the for the president of the yeshiva to say that it's it's acknowledging that that first reaction of putting your because we've all I think most women, I don't know about men, have put their hands out to someone who does not shake a person's hand and either they've retracted, which we know they're not supposed to do, or they've kind of given you a very limp handshake, which is almost worse. So being able to just have that welcoming moment and then set a boundary, um, I think is extremely, extremely important. And now you can answer the other question. Sorry, I cut you off. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, the other question, I think I mentioned this briefly before, but there, yeah, there isn't really, there aren't really lines when it comes to, to you know, conversation, you know, about, right, like with Yifatz and Nazi, there's no, there's no line saying she can't tell Nazi she has feelings about him, you know, for him. In fact, because they're in a Shomer Nagia-ish context, that's the only way, you know, that's the way to communicate that she can't go in for i mean she she sort of can but it's less culturally appropriate to just kind of go in for a hug um because of the fact that they're shomer nagia ish um so like you actually need to communicate things more clearly you know and verbally so yeah i think i i don't think there are you know lines that way um when it comes to speech with you know what you with what you say. But isn't it true that there are that there are types of speech that are not sneeze and that and therefore you're not supposed to use? Yeah. I mean, yeah, but I think in the, you know, saying you have feelings for someone is not Oh no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just Yeah, so I'm sure there are there are broader than that certainly types of speech that are not appropriate. But that's also just speech that's not appropriate, not for halakhic reasons and just isn't appropriate to say, you know. Uh, I was thinking about you know, when um I think it was when Rabbi Schatz was talking, you know, before I moved down to New Orleans, I was living in Washington Heights, which is, you know, the area around Yeshiva University in a community that's like somewhat Srugim-ish in terms of like age, people who are kind of late 20s, early 30s, single, whatnot, you know, and whatnot. Um, and, you know, I think one of the interesting things in a place, in a community like that is like in Shul, men don't go to shake hands with women and vice versa. It's sort of like culturally, there's sort of everyone, you know, people ha- are used to that awkwardness of like, oh, hi, nice to meet you. Like, what do you do? Um, it doesn't necessarily extend outward, but often people have no idea where other people's lines are if they meet in Shoal, because in Shoal sort of everyone is doing that awkward dance around, you know, oh, hi, nice to meet you. And then um, even though it seems like there's you- lines, then like beyond those walls, everyone has different lines so. as you were saying that i just flicked my camera because the boy cat just started licking the girl cat just quite ironic as you were saying that that's how i was showing you the boy cat was just licking the girl cat just that's funny yeah yeah eileen was that a hand no that was not a hand okay your dad yeah. had his hand up yes Shlita. yeah <laughs> um so yeah, yeah. so um you know i was teaching a, a hebrew high class before we started this and I was actually deal. I didn't know that we were going to be talking about this, but I was actually talking with them about the concept of Shomer Nagia. And one of the examples I raised, because this is a group where we have, uh, it was two boys and two girls, they're ninth graders. And I was talking about for a girl, I mean, it works with a boy as well, but for a girl who's going to an all girls high school, for example, 
And I was saying that part of what's different there is that one can focus on, if you will, on education or whatever your goals are, and you don't have this constant need to go, you know, off the derrick, off the road for, you know, should I dress a certain way because maybe that boy is going to be there or do I wear makeup or what should I, you know, you're, you're not focusing on what you would normally focus on for school because there are boys there. And, you know, in a sense, when you're told this is what it is, like you said in shul, it's easy. But when we go in a congregation, and I think the more liberal we are, the more complicated it is, because I will tell you, and I'm, I'm going to assume, I don't know, that Rabbi Schatz uh, will say the same thing. You know, there are people who might shake your hand and, you know, maybe they hold your hand a little too long, you know, where it's just a little and you're kind of like, okay, you know, what, what? and it could be totally innocent, but it's just, um, I'm not saying that I I. I don't want to have any physical contact because I do. And sometimes I, I kind of like go to give somebody a hug, a woman a hug. And I can tell, and I, it's like, I get it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not like committed until, you know, so, but, it, but it does make things much more complicated and there's no question about it. And, and even a simple handshake, you know, a handshake can be a handshake and a handshake can be a very sensual touch. It's, and I'm not sure how one can define what makes that happen. But I mean, I think if one is concerned with not crossing the lines, I'll give you just one other example and I'll, I'll be quiet. So my dad, different topic, but some of you might be able to relate to it. My dad had weight problems his entire life. Okay. I, I take after my mom. And when he went on these very, very strict, like what they used to call liquid protein diets, he did great. He'd lose 50 pounds, 80 pounds, whatever, because he knew he couldn't eat any of this other stuff. But when you had to start like counting calories and you can have a little bit of that, but a little bit of this, and it just got much more complicated, it all fell apart. So mm -hmm. even though I don't want it in my own life, I would say if the goal is, you know, whatever the goals are for uh, Shomer Nagia, you know, to have the strict rules is the most efficient because mm -hmm. it, it just makes it a lot easier to understand for everybody. And we're not trying to figure out what did they mean or, you know, what did they not mean? And if I could just add one other thing, I think the other thing we haven't talked about, which isn't strictly Shomer Nagia, but it plays a role, is the age. I was about to bring that up. Okay, yeah. good. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's, you know, thank you for bringing that up because I was actually just thinking, you know, we should mention the age piece, right? The fact that all of them are at an age where culturally, you know, their friends are married. They obviously have this group of friends who aren't married, but right, Ruth was saying to Yochai, right? She's joking, you know, they're joking and he says, oh, you know, the Merkazniki, you know, get married at 21. You and your group, you don't get married till 24, but they're obviously both past that age and um, you know, and it, and it complicates the conversation because often people, you know, you're sort of on a path, you know, for people who are growing up in that world and they're sort of the clear pathway that, you know, you, you were in B'nai Akiva and you're doing all these things and you go to the army and, and then, you know, you get married at 2021 and you're just kind of like, you just do, you're sort of on, on this direct pathway. It's the same thing, 
in America, there's no people who grew up in Orthodox day school and you go to YU, you, know, you spend a year in Israel, you know, you get, you know, you get married uh, when you graduate or you graduate Stern and like, you just sort of, you know, you've made it. Um, and everyone here, you know, my dad brought up the, the 30 age thing, right? The, the fact that there's like, they're past the point when there's like the clear trajectory and now they're in that ambiguous trajectory where like, you know, everything is sort of leading up to getting married at 21, 22, 23. Now you're 30 and they don't want to say the word 30 because like, God forbid. Um, and it also very much changes these dynamics when it comes to Nagia. And this was actually back to the conversation, you know, from, from my yeshiva. That was part of the conversation when, when it was sort of raised because not everyone in the yeshiva is married, you know, and, and a number of the rabbis were like, oh, you know, we got married at 21. Like this was never really a conversation, you know, when it came up that, you know, guys who were in their late 20s or 30s or whatever, and maybe had a picture with their arm around a girl who wasn't their, their wife. And it was sort of like, oh, this is a different reality because I got married at 21. And so I never had to, like, this never even occurred to me. And that's something we see very clearly in Surgim is that they're, they're sort of in that place where their friends are married. They're sort of not on a clear trajectory when it comes to like the next step of marriage. It's not like, okay, now I graduate and get married. It's like, now I'm just kind of living my life and like not sure when marriage is happening. Um, and often that, you know, creates um, complications or ambiguities, ambiguities when it comes to Nagia that people are often not as strict as they were when they were 20. I, I also think that, that the idea of like the hookup culture, right. Which is obviously not something that people who are Sharmanagi are partaking in, but the idea that you can be physically intimate with many different people before you actually end up with someone is part of what this is trying to keep you from. This is trying to keep you in, in a frame of mind of only being intentional. And I love using the word intentional because I think it comes up in so many different ways that we act Jewishly, right? Kashrut is about intentionality. This is about intentionality. It's about how you are intentional with your touch. So you're not just allowing yourself to be touched by or touching anybody. You are preserving that specifically for somebody who you feel like is is the person who deserves that touch. And I think that, I know that it's not halachic, but I think that in a certain way, we're seeing how modernity a little bit played into that in this episode, because like with Yifat and Nati, for example, I think Karen mentioned this at the beginning, she was not as okay with it as when she told him that she had feelings and he said, yeah, me too. I just don't know how to deal with them. Shocking. And so she then allows him to hold her without flinching. And same with Rayut. Once she kind of knows that this guy also is okay kissing her, um, even though, you know, just hearing her voice at, at one point in time was difficult, that 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 maybe these are the people. And I'm not going to give away the rest of the series um, in telling you whether that is the case or not for these couples. But I think that that's part of what's being played into here is that in modern day, even those people who are not Shomer Nagia, but are more traditional, that they might choose to only be sexually intimate or even um, physically intimate with people who they believe they will continue to be that way with. 
even before they're married, but that that trajectory begins with them and never has been done with another partner. Again, none of that was halacha. I'm just playing modernity and society into into that. And sociology, right? I think sociologically, this is very much true. You know, that, um, you know, people in this stage is sort of, those clear lines that maybe, you know, that grew up in yeshiva, there was sort of this clear sense. And, you know, even B'nai Akiva, when they're rude and, uh, and Yochai are talking, and it's about, you know, the boys would walk the girls home. Um, by the way, the, you know, it doesn't seem like there was any kissing there. It was just sort of like, that was a romantic action, was the walking them home. Um, and Yochai says, oh, we didn't do that. We were in the separate chapters where boys were only with boys, you know. Um, but like now they're at a different stage in life. And, and it's... Yeah, I think the struggle is just like a little bit different. Um, and I think Eileen's right. Like they are feeling a little bit more desperate, right? If they've if they've been Shomer Nagia and have not had any kind of um, romantic relationship, physical or otherwise, up until now, they're ready to find that person who they can explore all of this with. And so it seems as though they are they're they're taking down a few of those walls to try to figure that out. Anybody else have any other questions? I feel like we talked a lot, but do, does anybody have any questions? What was your reaction to the uh, young uh, Hebrew teacher giving her a kiss since he was very religious? Yeah, I mean, I My think reaction? that's... Oh. Yeah, no, no, I mean, what your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a little bit of a shocking moment. And, but I, so I think one struggle... I mean, I, I remember having a conversation with um, a friend of mine who's not Shomer Nagia, who's now ma- you know, married, but she shared, you know, a story of, you know, one time going on a walk with someone who was religious and, you know, came out of Yeshiva University or whatever, and kind of was in that, that world. And I got one point just like sort of out of nowhere kissed her and I was like, where is that from? Um, and I think part of that is that if you're growing up in the non-religious world, there's sort of a, an understanding of gradations of touch. You know, that maybe you, you know, put your hand near theirs and see if, the, you know, they want to hold your hand. Sort of like steps along the way. But if you grow up with, in the very black and white kind of like, you don't touch. And now I want to I want to show that I'm, you know, attracted to you or I'm interested in you. Like, you don't sort of know what, where are, what are those gradations? It's sort of like, okay, well, I guess I kiss you now because like you have no... You know, there's sort of no understanding of like, maybe I show up, you know, a lesser way of demonstrating my interest to see if it's reciprocated or not. Um, but when you're, when you're not taught any of that, like, I, I feel like I share this story often, but it's, um, you know, one of my favorite stories. One of my rabbis in yeshiva was a Belzer Hassan. Um, and, you know, it is still, and, you know, my yeshiva is very liberal. And so this rabbi, you know, people would, would ask him, like, you're, you're a Belzer Hasid, you wear, you know, tribal, the whole thing. Like, why are you teaching in, you know, a liberal, modern Orthodox yeshiva? And his response was, you know, in my world, like, everyone is constantly trying to demonstrate, you know, to do increasing chumras, being stricter and stricter and stricter. Um, but the impact of that is that people don't actually understand where kind of Chumra ends and halacha begins, right? Where like stringency versus law. And he said, like, you know, 
people think if I, you know, because everyone wears solid white shirts, they're like, well, maybe, you know, if I want to, if I want more expression, I want to wear blue stripes on my shirts, like may as well eat a bacon cheeseburger um, because there's no sense of like what, you know, it's like a, sort of an all or nothing. So, you know, that was always his response was like, I, you know, I want people to know, like, I want to be friends with you guys so that if someone wants, you know, says I can't handle like the, the black and white, I can send them to someone who can demonstrate, you know, yeah, you can wear colors and still keep kosher. Um, but, you know, I think it's a struggle often for people who are raised in that very black and white um, sense of reality of like, well, okay, now I, I want to add nuance to that, but I don't even know where to begin. Yeah, Karen, you're muted. Okay. I, I'm going to share a very embarrassing story about myself. 20,000 years ago, I was a principal of a special ed school where kids were placed here in LA. And I knew nothing religiously. Really. And the kids were going through a graduate, some sort of celebration. And I was so excited that I ran up to this very religious kid, hugged him, and I'm so excited for you. Now, kill himself. What would he have to do that I did something terrible? Seriously. I mean, I apologize, but what did he have to, did he have to do something? Mikvah, what did he have to do? Wait, sorry, so you froze in the middle of the story? Oh, no. At least to me. Could you? She hugged a student who was extremely religious, and she, she's wondering. What? I didn't know that he, didn't I couldn't know. do that, because I had no sense. And I mean, I was so excited, you know, and I'm so happy, yeah. you know, blah, 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 blah. And the teacher informed me, who wasn't even Jewish, mm. but knew the family and said, you have no idea, you know, what you just did. So what is, what is he, what did he have to do? Nothing. Did he have to do anything? No. Nothing? No. <laughs> no, because he, you know, he wasn't involved, right? It's like most things with I mean, Jewish lies. as Rabbi. He didn't hug me back. He did not. Exactly. Hug me back. Right. As Rabbi Schatz touched on, it's, you know, most, yeah, most things are right. about intentionality. And so if there's no intentionality, right, he, he didn't do anything. Right? The same thing would happen, by the way, if you like go up to a Chabad rabbi to hug them, they're not going to run away. They'll probably just sort of like do, but they, yeah, they don't have to go to make, you don't have to go to make or anything. Like you didn't, um, it's just, People they weren't, you know, and actively, Again, they, they had no intentionality there, so it's fine. Excellent. It's not fine, they don't you know, but they don't have to go to confession. You don't have to, you don't have to uh, worry and about what you did to this kid. What Rabbi Pernick meant was it is fine. It's totally yeah. fine. Okay. And, and when I'm in the hood, the, the other hood, the real hood, mm-hmm. like I'm her. not even looked at. I'm not even looked at. The hood meaning right? like Pico Robertson or? No. Middle East. Whatever, I for a Fairfax, La Brea, whatever, or I just see some, you know, the black hat person, they don't look at me. I mean, there's not even a look that transpires. So I sort of now have learned my lesson. Just saying, I had to share because I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to. You don't have to uh, go to confession for. uh, (laughs) Hold it in. It's it's fine. Um, He might not have known what to do in the moment, but there is uh, there's nothing that you know. He did it wrong when he has to hold, you know, hold in or anything. Yeah. Um, Rebecca. Or Leonard. Or Leonard, one of you. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, my uh, um, my secular aunt 
was greeting uh, one of my cousins, who's, who's uh, her nephew, and uh, who is very observant. She hadn't seen him in, since he was little, and she went to hug him. He was a young man, and um, he, you know, he, he backed off and did it in a way that she was upset because she thought, you know, he, he should have gone and shaked her hand, whatever, because it was an embarrassment and, and such to, to her. So, and I think you touched on an, another story. W- what again is that principle and where, where to not cause embarrassment to somebody and such, maybe you, you, you go ahead and break the Shomer Nagia rule. What is that again? Um. I mean, so there's an idea that, you know, embarrassing a person publicly is worse than murder. I don't know if that's what you're referring to. And so, yeah, in that case, I mean, and that was sort of what um, the president of my yeshiva and that story I was telling about the, the dinner was sort of saying, like, right, if someone goes to you, you don't have to initiate a handshake. But, right? And a lot of people will differentiate between initiating and responding. You know, I might not initiate a handshake, but if someone reaches out their hand, it's embarrassing to them to not respond. And again, that's also not a romantic action. So lots of people would say, you know, it's better, or even the hug, you know, it's better to sort of do a half side hug just to sort of save face for that person rather than making a scene, which, I mean, not to say that people do that because I think in the Haredi community, you know, if you go to hug them, they'll just be so shocked in a a lot of cases that they'll make a scene not intentionally, not to embarrass you, but just because it's so unexpected. Um, But yeah, actually halakhically would, I think be better to, you know, not embarrass that person, even if it means, you know, again, not like there's a giving a full bear hug, but, but doing something that allows the person to save face. And is there a, a term for that uh, saving face, uh, not cause embarrassment? Yes. Yes, there is. Well, I'm trying to think of, uh, I can't think of what the, I know I'm saying I'm thinking of like the phrase in the Gemara where it says it's kish yeah. damim. It's like murder, but I'm forgetting what the what the the phrase for um, causing embarrassment is. You can it's tell me next time. I'll tell you next time <laughs> when when it pops into my head as soon as we're done here. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, yeah. Any okay. other thoughts? Bonnie, Bonnie, maybe a last uh, comments. Yeah. Yes, if there were a female person, whether stranger, stranger or not, would an, who was in need or hurt, would that be an issue um, if it required touching? No, right? It would not. It should not be an issue because it's, you know, in a case of need. Though if you remember from the first episode... Yeah, the first episode with Hodaya and the guy who sleeps over at their apartment, right? He was the guy who, when they were in high school in B'nai Akiva, didn't reach out his hand, and so she fell into the mud in this place, right? Like, there was that story from when they were in high school that he refused, you know, she needed a, a hand you know, to avoid falling into the mud, and he didn't reach out her, his hand. Um, but no, but in that case, you know, right, we have Hatsala ambulances um, where they're you know, they're not they're not refraining from helping women for Shomer Nagia's sake. You know, if you go, if it's helping someone, then that's clearly doesn't fall under the category. Um, Because again, this is all about romantic touch. So something that can't be construed as, you know, romantic, it's clearly serving other purposes. um, It doesn't apply. So is, is there a difference though, between romantic and lustful? 
And I, I ask in terms of the specific situation that was just addressed with counseling, because we know that especially for clergy or people, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, et cetera, teachers sometimes, that a lot of abuse occurs when one presents themselves in a vulnerable state. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on the one hand, we want to go over and, and give them a hug, but that can, you know, be interpreted or lead inappropriately. And depending on the response one gets from that hug, one, it may initiate feelings than the person who started out just as a compassionate hug. And, you know, I mean, we know, so it's, you know, it, it's just, it's very complicated. You're going to have to become Sherman Aguirre, Dad. I think, <laughs> <laughs> well, we should just end there. That's, yeah. <laughs> Um, By the way, my dad is a reform rabbi. For those who don't, who don't know, so we have sort of the three major denominations covered here. Um, <laughs> in case that wasn't clear, <laughs> we can have another session sometime. Just like put all three of us against one another. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I think the answer is yes. I mean, I think that there is difference between. I mean, we even saw it a little bit with um, what's the one who's dating Avri. Hodaya. Yeah. When they were kissing in his apartment, like that was, that became much more, I mean, they're characters, but that became much more lustful than just a romantic gesture. Um, and I think that there is difference. I mean, I, I think that the, the peck on the mouth that Rayut got before she went up to her apartment or the hug that, um, Yifat got from Nati when consoling her, I, I I think that those are romantic gestures that sure could lead to any kind of lustful behavior or or any kind of you know sexual behavior even. But I, I I do believe that there's a difference and that that one could lead to the other, but that they are clearly um, designated as different kinds of of acts, I I think. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Maimonides says that sort of explicitly. I'll just share my screen for a second. So, um, from when we were looking earlier, but, but in, uh, in Maimonides, uh, rules of, you know, of Easter Abia, forbidden intercourse, right? He talks about, you know, one who hugs or kisses in a sexual way and takes pleasure in the physical intimacy. Uh, receives lashes for a door right to transgression, right? So there, and, and later sources, you know, note the, that his language here is intentional, right? It's, um, you know, right? Which is, you could translate it exactly that as hugging and kissing in a lustful manner. Um, and, and I think to differentiate between Hodaya and Yochai and uh, Avri's kiss in the coffee shop versus the kiss in the apartment, right? they're kind of different. They're both kisses, but they're different. One is more, you say, lustful. Um, and then, and gets enjoyment out of the closeness of flesh. Um, so there does seem to be that he's saying, it's, you know, it's not just a peck on the cheek or even a kiss on the mouth, per se, but sort of a a more lustful um, encounter, that that's, that's sort of the real prohibition. Um, and there's a difference between that and, you know, and a non-sexual kiss, let's say, or non-sexual hug. I think even the, you know, um, 
Nazi and Ifat at the end, right? It's not lustful. I wouldn't call that lustful. It's kind of supportive, right. but it's, you know, it's a different, but where that line is, right, is, is often hard to know. So that's such as life, such as life. Okay. I think we'll call it here um, for, for tonight. I'm sure we'll be coming back to Nagia, um, you know, before, before this season is done. Uh, I was shocked that we made it to episode seven before that became the, you know, our primary topic for one of these classes. Um, but I'm sure it will reappear. So, and, um, you know, and maybe we'll, as we continue to explore, we'll see the different, you know, we'll explore some of the different gradations, how, you know, kissing lustfully differs from, from being on the subway next to someone, you know, <laughs> where the line is. Yeah. I just wanted to say about the Hebrew teacher or the, the teacher, um, I felt he led such a sheltered life being with the other people, seeing that he didn't, had never heard of Seinfeld, you know, and then living with his mother. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's seeing how the others are. And then he's walking her home that it was like, you know, you know, it's like, yeah. And I think, I think that plays into a little bit of what Rod Pernick was talking about before, which is like, what do you do in that he didn't know what else to do in that moment. And so yeah. he, I laughed when Robbie Pernick said this, but it's really true. Like, I guess I'll kiss you now. Like, I guess that's <laughs> what we do when I'm standing here and you're standing there and not sure what else to say. So I'll just kiss you. And, and he's surprised by it too, right? It's right. not just a moment where she's surprised. He's like, Oh, not sure what I just did there, but I just yeah. did a thing. Um, so I think, th- I think that is, I mean, to go back to, Probably Parnick's point that, probably Parnick Senior's point that, um, that there, I think there's a difference there between that romantic piece and the lustful piece. Um, because he wasn't trying to be overly sexual about the moment. He was just trying to thank her and to show that he cared about the evening that he had with her. Um, and that's very different than the episode in the apartment with, um, Hodea and Avri. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it allows us to, uh, my, my other favorite line from the episode, in addition to the praying with the Avar Yanim, is the, you know, I've heard of Rob Scheinfeld's, like, is that, you know, <laughs> which I just think is, you know, um, oh, and the Kugel thing was also very funny this year. Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that was. There's and then he things. just, he just left abruptly. It was like, what have I done? He was embarrassed because you know? he, he knew that wasn't yeah. something he was exactly. supposed to be doing. Yeah. And yet no lightning was struck. You know, nothing crazy happened to him, similar to Aaron's story. But still he felt as though there was something that he wasn't supposed to do that he had done. So Mm -hmm. we will see you next week, episode eight. Um, And who knows? But it'll be fun. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.